We're going to uh, we're going to look at a, at a little piece of scripture out of the book of Hebrews this morning. Um, I'm pretty sure that I that I preached at least one message since I've been here out of Hebrews, but I want to go back just a little bit, just in case we've forgotten some of this stuff, because um, it's kind of important. Uh, Hebrews is a is a very interesting book um, for for a number for a number of reasons. Among other things, something that makes Hebrews in, uh, interesting is that there is no general agreement about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Nobody really knows who wrote it. Uh, some people believed at a, at a certain time in history that, that Paul was the author of Hebrews, but more than likely he, he was not. Um, and most people agree with that statement today uh, because the, the, the type of writing, the way that, the way that uh, Hebrews is written, a lot of the language, those types of things, just don't measure up next to uh, the, the writings that we know as a fact are Paul's. Um, so Paul, more than likely, is not the author of Hebrews. Uh, there have been some other suggestions over the, over the centuries, over the decades, as to, might, as to who may have written it. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's just no general consensus of who the author of this, of this little book was. Um, nonetheless, it wound up in our New Testament. And uh, that's, that's just, it's, it's, it's very interesting, um, the, the way that it, went, that it wound up there. Um, another thing that kind of st stands out about Hebrews is it doesn't read like a letter. Uh, the majority of New Testament books that you'll find are, are letters. Of course, all the, le the epistles that we, call, that, that we refer to as the epistles of Paul are letters. That's what that word means. Epistles means letters. Um, but a majority of the New Testament are clearly letters, and you can, you can tell by the way that they're structured. Usually there's an introduction or a greeting followed by the content of that letter, followed by... Uh, you know, the, I can't remember what we called it in English class, but uh, basically it was, it, was a, it was a goodbye greeting. Um, but this is not structured like that at all. As a matter of fact, what you're going to see if, in Hebrews, if you were to read through the whole thing, is that Hebrews is actually written or sounds more like a sermon than it does a letter. And there's a reason for that. Most people believe that Hebrews was a sermon at some point. It was a sermon that at some point somebody decided to write out and then have it distributed uh, to where it was distributed to initially, which is another kind of a, 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 uh, another strange source, is we don't really know who it was originally written to. Again, it's not addressed to a, addressed to a certain individual, and it's not addressed to a certain community. Uh, there, there is nobody specifically that we can tell that this letter was written to. Although... Most people do agree that more than likely it was written um, to some people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. They, they were probably living somewhere around the area of Rome. And at the time, because of some of the stuff, and we'll actually, we'll actually explore some of this, because of the, some of the stuff that's written in Hebrews, it was probably a group of Christians, Jewish Christians, who were being uh, heavily, heavily persecuted at the time. So that's just kind of a background. I've always, I've always considered or thought Hebrews was just a really neat book. It stands out in the New Testament for, for, for a number of reasons, and those are, those are among some of them. Uh, but the main purpose of Hebrews is basically just to address the Messiahship of Jesus. That is what, at the end of the day, that's what this whole book about is about. This whole book is about Jesus. It's not biographical necessarily, even though there is certainly some biography in it. It is to ensure, or to assure us, to assure the people that it was written to at the time, that they're following the right faith, basically. It's all about Jesus being who he said he was. You can believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You can believe 
that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah because of this. And the author gives example after example after example. As a matter of fact, the author dives back into the Old Testament. He pulls out prophetic messages, prophetic scriptures out of the Old Testament. He compares them to Jesus. And he shows them why, how these Old Testament scriptures reflect the coming of Christ. And reflect the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's really cool that he the way he does this. Now keep, away, keep in mind, these were folks under some heavy persecution. Heavy persecution. We've talked about that before. These, these folks in the first century, man, they were being, they were being hunted down. They were, be, they were being targeted. They were being arrested. They were being jailed. All that good stuff. Some of them were being killed even. This is the kind of persecution they were under. So you got to figure, you know, if this guy's going to write this letter of Hebrews, he's, 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 he's really trying to convince some folks that they're doing the right thing, that they are with the right faith, that everything that they're going through, everything that they're dealing with has a purpose. Everything that they're dealing with and having to confront and, and experience in their lives is worth it because they do have it right. They do have it right at the end of the day. Another thing that Hebrews makes clear to us is, uh, is, is the superiority of what we call the New Covenant. Now, the New Covenant is something that we have talked about for the last two weeks here at Bemis. The New Covenant, of course, being Jesus Christ himself, that salvation comes through faith in Christ and how this New Covenant is superior uh, to the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system that we read about in the, Old New in, in the New Testament, that sacrificial system that was, that was mediated by priests, you know, and the fact that we have our own priest now, and his name is Jesus. And we live under this New Covenant law, law um, so, so to speak, and how, again, it is superior to what uh, the Jewish tradition was, was accustomed to at that time. So that's just a little bit of background. And again, just a very interesting book to me and, um, for, in the, for, for those reasons among others. So when we get to our scripture today, um, the author is basically re-emphasizing that assurance that I was mentioning a minute ago. He was, he's he's re-emphasizing the assurance of this beautiful new life that this new church has in Christ. And he or she even, we don't know, he or she is calling this body of believers to persevere in their faith by doing a number of things. Number one, by clinging on to one another, by encouraging one another, by prompting each other to boldly carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ, to strengthen and to disciple one another through fervent, persistent, consistent involvement with their community of Jesus followers. Here's what he says in chapter 10, 24, he or she says in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10 24 and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching Word of God for the people of God. Mm -mm. Preacher's about to talk about coming, about to talk about coming to church. <laughs> Folks, I've let you guys know on, on a number of occasions that I believe that the local church for us, that's that's gonna be Bemis United Methodist Church. I don't I don't I see one visitor here with us this morning. So what but whatever your church home happens to be for the majority of us. It's Bemis. It's the local church, the body of follow Jesus followers that we belong to. I've told you 
time and time again at this point, you know, that I believe that church, the local church, is the most important thing that we are a part of in our lives. And I think it's the most important thing that we are a part of as people who actually identify ourselves as Christians. I believe that church should be our number one priority in our lives above everything else. Just as it was for these first century Jesus followers. I believe that church participation and I believe that church involvement should be our excuse for missing all other social activities that we might be involved with and not the other way around. I believe that involvement and participation in the local church isn't just something that we mark off our calendars, something that we put on the same level with the same amount of importance or less importance, less, less importance of all of these other things that we have going on in our life. But folks, I don't believe this because I'm trying to be self-righteous and I, and, and I don't think that it comes from a place of self-righteousness. I've, I've, exam I've tried to examine myself on this. And I really don't think that this comes from a place of self-righteousness. I don't believe these things because I'm trying to manipulate anybody into doing something they don't really do. You know, I don't... <clears throat> I, I believe these things because I believe the Bible teaches it. And I believe that Christian history testifies to it. I believe that Christian practice, historical Christian practice, testifies to it. And I believe these things because of the fruit that I have seen because of my active participation in the church over the years in my own life. I believe it because of the fruit that I have seen in the life of my wife. I believe it because the fruit that I have seen in the lives of some of you guys already in just a short period of one year. I believe it because I see it in the fruit of lives of so, so, so many people. I see what happens when people are actively and earnestly engaged in the ministries of the local church. Now let me say this before before I you know get get any further. Let me let me let me go ahead and throw this out there because already I can tell some of y'all are getting real nervous and twitchy. Um, I'm not here to beat up anybody this morning. I'm not I'm not here to beat anybody up over this this morning and and I'm and I'm not here to try to give you any kind of guilt trip. And if you happen to think that I am talking about you personally, I am not. Have, we, have a, we have a couple in our church. Last time I talked about church participation and activities and, and ministries and all that, last time I talked about this from this pulpit, we've got one couple in our church that came up to me afterwards. Not afterwards, maybe it's several days or even a couple weeks later. And they said, the man said, you know, I looked over to my wife and I said, you think he's talking about us? I think, she says, I think he may be. They said, well, maybe, maybe we ought to do some more. <laughs> I wasn't talking about them I hadn't, at, at all whatsoever but the good news about that conversation they had is they have been a part of our life groups for several months now consistently so I'm not talking about anybody individually so please don't believe don't please don't think that please don't think that I am as, as we go through this you know to the contrary my hope my, my hope and and this wasn't even going to be my, my message this week by the way this is this I, you can ask Kevin I, I usually let him and Paulette and um, <clears throat> no, no. at the beginning of the week what my scripture is going to be and I, and I went back and I changed this because I think this is just something God put on my heart for some reason but my, you know, my hope today is that this message will be one of encouragement I hope this message will be of, you know, will encourage you and, and I, think that it'll, I hope that it will be one of, of positive motivation I hope that you will take what is said over these next few minutes and I hope that you'll think about it 
I hope that you'll pray about it if, it, if some of this stuff applies to you. And I pray that you'll use it, ultimately, to enhance your own relationship with God, ultimately, to enhance your relationship with your brothers and sisters, and ultimately, because it's going to enhance your own spiritual growth. There's basically two parts uh, to our scriptures today, and you can pretty much split them up between verses 24 and 25. And both of these are positive exhortations to the church and positive exhortations to us today as well. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and towards good deeds. You know, I've tried to hammer, hammer, hammer it home to you guys uh, that Christianity is not and was never meant to be an individualistic pursuit. Y'all heard me say that before? It's never meant to be that way. It was, it was never meant to be that way. Unfortunately, some of us see it that way today. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. True, true, but it's not helping you. It's not helping you a bit, and, and, uh, and, and, and you're certainly not helping anybody else when we, when we ask that question. You know, yeah, you know, we've got individual lives. All of our, all, we all have our individual personal lives, our individual prayer lives, that, you know, with, with God and all that good stuff. But the life of a Jesus follower was always and is meant to be connected to a community. It's how we worship together. It's how we grow. It's how we serve, and it's how we love one another as well as the outside world. It's how we encourage each other. It's how we learn. It's how we mature. It's how we, uh, our local church isn't or should not be anyway considered to be a burden to us. Our local church is a gift to us. The author of Hebrews says that through this gift, through the church, we challenge each other. We spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. We hold each other accountable. We make sure that we, me, and the other person are all continuing to grow in grace and our love for one another. Together we look for opportunities to share that love of Christ with our brothers and sisters, with the, with the world around us. Spiritual growth, the type of growth that we look for in Christ, is absolutely impossible on an individual level. Y'all can agree with that statement or not, but I think it's pretty factual. Real spiritual growth is impossible on an individual level. We have to have each other to be able to do this. This is one of the primary, if not the primary foundation and purpose of what we do twice a month on Tuesdays in our life groups and also on Sunday mornings in our adult class. Our, our, um, we meet with each other. We, these, aren't, these aren't Bible studies. We have a Bible study, which is awesome. But these two small groups in particular are all about our spiritual growth and gathering together with a community and really examining ourselves, really examining our consciences, really examining the way that we apply, are or are not applying the Bible and the teachings of Jesus to our regular lives, examining and talking to our brothers and sisters about our triumphs, but also our sins and our struggles, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And I think that anybody who participates in those gatherings will tell you they have received spiritual growth because of it. Because that's how it happens. 
always happens in communities, folks. Always, always, always. When it comes to good deeds, when it comes to serving others, serving those around us, our efforts are magnified and our efforts are multiplied when we do it together. When it's a combined effort of individuals and a combined effort of families that are serving, whether we're serving inside the church, our brothers and sisters inside the church, or whether we're serving people outside the church. Think about some of the things that we do here at Bemis United Methodist. Think about our hot dogs and Jesus. How many people are served? How many people are shown the love of Christ because of that? How many people are prayed for? Probably, probably have never been prayed for before. We're connecting to our community. I can't do that by myself. Kevin couldn't do that by himself. Bob couldn't do that by himself. Not to the extent or to the magnitude that we can do it at together as a community. Look at our back-to-school batch that we're planning on. One person cannot accomplish what we can together as a group. Look at our vacation Bible school. One purpose cannot, one person cannot accomplish what we do together in service as a group. Church. Church, not individuals. Move ahead to verse 25. And verse 25 speaks really to the heart of what we do. It speaks to uh, gathering together for worship. It speaks to discipleship, it speaks to encouragement, it speaks to growth, and it speaks to service. Let us not, verse 24, let us, not consider, or let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. And there's the part that grabs us, that grabs us and makes our heart beat a little, little faster. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now I'm going to tell you guys, that when they wrote this letter, when this letter was written to the folks that it was written to, that we believe was written to, of anybody in the world, these folks had a reason not to be meeting together. Okay? These folks actually probably had a pretty good reason. They were being hunted, hunted down and put in prison. Men, women, children, all, the whole lot of them. If anybody had an excuse not to gather as the body of believers, it was this, folks. What's our excuse? But the author still says, don't give it up. And that's what exactly what they were doing, by the way. A lot of them, that's why, he put, that's why the author put that in there. As some have the habit of doing. Because that's what they were doing, a lot of them. He says, no. Don't forsake it. Don't give it up. Keep on doing what you're doing because you need each other. You have to have each other. This is what church is. This is what church is meant to be. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. Keep on meeting together. Keep on meeting together. I struggle to say this because it's going to sound judgmental. <clears throat> but what's our excuse? Well, these are people who were dying, man. These are people who were, who were being hunted down. And yet they continued to do what Christ called them to do. To meet together. To be the light and the salt to the world around them. Be Jesus followers, to stand out. We live in the freest country in the, across the globe. We have air-conditioned buildings. What's our excuse? What are we willing to sacrifice? 
to worship God together, Kevin. Reckon how many people show up if our air conditioner went out? We need to search ourselves. And again, that is not meant to be a guilt trip. But y'all also know that I believe in examining ourselves. And I believe in examining myself. We need to examine ourselves a lot of times. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we fail to do the things that we should do? If we abandon consistent fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, not only will we stop growing as Christ followers, there's a very, very good chance we're going to go backwards. This is where the church serves as a benefit to us. If we fail to meet together with other Christ followers, we're going to stop growing. But not only that, more than likely, we're going to start going backwards. And I don't say that to make anybody scared or put the fear of God in anybody, so to speak. It's just a simple fact. You know, I've, I've, I've mentioned that, you know, time and time and time again, I've, I've, I've talked to you guys about the fact that Gathering together um, consistently, persistently, without fail, was a hallmark of our Methodist tradition. Undoubtedly, God used that to grow that movement like wildfire, wildfire in a short amount of time. Simply put, the early Methodists didn't do anything but model the first century church and what they did. They met together. And they met together often. And they met together frequently. They met together in what we call today small groups for the purposes of doing exactly what I was talking about a minute ago, discipling one another. As a matter of fact, they just didn't, they didn't do it because they wanted to. At the time, it was actually a requirement. If you want to be a part of this church, this is what you're going to need to do. What if we tried to do that today, Kevin? But it was a requirement, and it was a welcomed requirement. It was something that actually people actually enjoyed, was the kicker. They held one another accountable. They dedicated themselves to works of mercy and to works of compassion. I want to draw your attention one more, and this, this is coming out a lot. This sermon is coming out a lot more negative than I, than I planned on that, y'all. That really was not my intention. So, I, again, I hope that you don't take it that way. Um, but we need to look at ourselves sometimes. It's not all positive all the time. I want to draw your attention to something else, but again, you know, I don't want you to interpret this as a guilt trip or, or, or some attempt to manipulate you guys. It just, it just, it is what it is. And I'm, and I'm going to follow that up with um, what I hope will be some kind of words of encouragement, maybe even a challenge for you. Um, yeah, yeah, looking out here, you know, most of us, most of us are members here. Uh, at some point, whether you were baptized as a, as a baby and later you went through confirmation, or maybe you transferred your membership from, from another United Methodist Church or from another church outside the Methodist tradition, or maybe you were baptized into the Methodist Church at, uh, at some point later in your life, regardless, under, under any of those circumstances, all of us made certain vows. All of us made very, very specific certain vows, and they're outlined in what we call the baptismal vows. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to point something out to you. And again, one more time, not the guilt trip, just to state as a fact, and examine yourselves. But when we came to Bemis United Methodist Church, 
all of us said this, or the pastor at the time said this, and you said, I will. You were asked, we were asked, I was asked, as members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And because you're here today, I'm going to venture to guess that everybody in this room said, I, I did, or I will. I'm not going to go through all of those right now, but I want to point two, two of them out for us to focus on. Presence and service. Will you give yourselves to the presence and service of your congregation? You know, we have a... Uh, We got some pretty great leadership here at the church. I, I was looking over the um, list of our leadership this morning, um, prior to church starting. I was looking over all of our committee members and committee committee chairs and all of our administrative council folks and you know all those folks who are, who are listed as church leaders. And we've got some pretty doggone amazing leaders in our church. We've, we've got we've got church leaders who are who are very active. <coughs> church leaders who are very consistent with their Sunday morning worship attendance, but also church leaders who are involved in other areas of the church, church leaders who are involved in at least one small group, church leaders who are routinely involved with, uh, with outreach ministries, all this stuff that we do with the church, and that's something, that's something that should make us all happy. Um, you know, you'll find, you'll find our leadership out there waving signs with us on Saturdays, you'll You'll find them preparing meals. You'll find them volunteering for vacation Bible school, changing air, air filters, climbing ladders, uh, all kind of stuff. Just donating all their, you know, so much of their time and so much of their resources to the projects and the ministries of this church. You know, in that list, the list of what these folks do could really go could go on and on. And this is something for us to be thankful for. We should very we should be very very thankful that we have that type of leadership in our church. That type of leadership that's modeled in our church. Church leadership should model that. They should model a noticeable desire to grow in their own walk with Christ. They should model consistent, dedicated commitment to the various ministries of the church. And ours does. Ours does a very good job of that. Not all, not all churches can, uh, can claim that. And I want to thank you all for that, personally. If nobody, I, know, I know a lot of this stuff is this kind of an un, a thankless job, but you guys do great with that, actually. And that's good. What I want to encourage you guys to do today, not just our leadership, but everybody, is go back and examine ourselves, like I mentioned earlier. Take an inventory of how you're doing in these areas of presence and service. Take an inventory of how you are doing in these areas of presence and service to your church, to your brothers and sisters. For the last time, not out of a sense of guilt, but just consider it for what it is, for being what it is. If you're not drawn, or if you have a lack or a desire to engage in these things, you need to ask yourself why. If, the, if I'm a Christian, and I'm a part of the church of Jesus Christ, but yet I don't have this pull I don't have this, 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 this desire, this heart desire to be a part, to, to be majorly involved with, with, with Christ's church. Why is that? 
because that's really the root of it. It's not about doing this, doing that. It's, it's, always, it's always about the why. It's always about the why. Look at God. Jesus cares about our hearts. Look at, the, look at the stories that Jesus tells, for example. It always goes back not to what you do or what you don't do, but why do you do the things you do? Why do you not do the things that you do? So that would be my first thing. Examine yourselves. Take an inventory. Why do you know? And do I am I am I participating in this those types of things? And if not, and if I don't have that desire, that draw to that, why don't I have that desire? After you do this, if you feel led to do so, I would suggest that if you're already not doing this, a couple of things. I'm going to lay out a couple of suggestions for you. If you're not already doing this, I would I would I would encourage you to. If you're not already doing this, and because of this, you obtain a desire to do so, I would encourage you to be consistent with at least starting with your Sunday morning church attendance, if you're not doing this already. This may be difficult for some. I get it. Everybody can't be here every Sunday, by the way, and I get that too. We're not going to be here two Sundays from now. I'm not telling everybody they have to live at the church. But make a commitment to it. Make a regular commitment to it. If you're not, if you know, if you're not accustomed to going four Sundays out of the month, three Sundays out of the month, make a, set yourself a goal to be there for your church and with your church and, 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 and for God, with God, two Sundays out of the month to start off with. Just two Sundays out of the month. Make it a point. Make it a priority to consistently join your church family for worship. Second suggestion I would make is to please, please consider getting involved in just one one small group here at the church. Just one. And there are ample small groups here at the church to get involved in. Our life groups meet twice a month. That's it. Twice a month. Every month. And that we meet in the mornings and we meet at night. We have Sunday school for adults and for children every Sunday. I consider the worship team to be a small group. Because they get together to worship, they pray together, and they hold each other accountable. I'm sure Kevin would love nothing more than to have some folks who have the gifts and the talents of singing and or playing a musical instrument to join that small group. Our United Methodist men meet once a month. That's a small group. Our United Women of Faith meet once a month. That's a small group. It's not a big demand. It's not a huge demand. But it gives you the opportunity to be involved in something beyond Sunday morning worship. And it gives you the opportunity to be involved with something outside of yourself. And an opportunity to be with other followers of Christ. To disciple one another. To be accountable to one another. To work together in ministry. Is there any other small group that I failed to mention there? Y'all can think of? <laughs> Carl's waving his hands back there. He says the soundboard's a small group. Overs and unders meet once a month. Uh, Miss Judy's been begging to start an intercessory prayer group for, for a while now. They're all over the place at Bemis, folks. Just get involved in one. Just one. <clears throat> and lastly, church, you know, we need to remember that we're not here. We don't come to church. We're not part of a church just for the sake of receiving ministry, but we're here for the sake of giving ministry away to others as well. Every single person in this room, every single person in this room, has been endowed with gifts that have been given by God that are that we are 
able to utilize in service to his kingdom and that we're able to utilize in service to our local church and in service to our local community. Find something that suits you in the area of service and get involved with it. You know, I've been halfway kind of gifted in the area of preaching, so that's what I do. I tell you what I'm not gifted in, and that's vacation Bible school. But we got good folks here who are able to do that. Okay? There are people with all kind of gifts. Find your gift. Realize your gift. Utilize that gift. And just use it for, for, for service-oriented things here at the church. We're doing all kinds of stuff all the time. Maybe it means just coming and cleaning the church up. I ain't going to ask you guys to do nothing. Let me tell you what. This preacher ain't beyond cleaning the toilet bowl. Okay? If cleaning up something is something you're really good at, come on and help us clean up. But get involved. Serve your church. Serve your brothers and sisters. Serve your, serve your community. You know, <clears throat> that's, that's my encouragement. And, and I hope that this, that this message, as long as it was, didn't come across too, being, being too negative. That really, really was not my intention at all. Um, people have asked me, you know, when, when I preach on this or when I talk about this, you know, uh, well, well, before you were a preacher, were you like this? Were you that involved in the church? And the answer is yes. Once I, once I became dedicated to Christ going on a decade ago, yes. Uh, because it felt good to worship God. It felt good to be around other people who were holding me accountable and helping me to grow. It felt good to see the way that my heart and my thinking were changing constantly. How I was constantly being molded and shaped a little bit more, becoming a little bit less selfish and a little more Jesus-centered. Yes, I've always been like this. And I tell people all the time, God, I just wish you could get a glimpse of it. I just wish that you could get a touch of it, a taste of it. And you would want <laughs> the same thing. I assure you. And there's other people I know in this church will testify to, 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 to exactly what I'm saying because I see it in your lives. And I hear it in your words. And I see it in your, I see it in your eyes. <laughs> and I see the way that you love one another. 